Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the middle chapter between the three chapters. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is preaching here a sermon, and His main point is that He's calling people to pursue surpassing righteousness, surpassing the scribes and the Pharisees. Pursue surpassing righteousness and seek first the kingdom of God so that you may enter the kingdom of God. That's really the point of the whole Sermon on the Mount from chapters 5 through 7, and we're right in the thick of it here. It's on, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible, a hard black, a hard cover in the, in the pew in front of you, and if you grab it there, you could turn to page 860. When I say Matthew chapter 6, verse, verses 9 to 14, chapter 6 is the big number, verse 19 is the small number, the, the small numbers are the verse numbers, and we're going to read verses 19 to 24. Hear then the word of the living God. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God, both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, we pray with our Bibles open before us, that you would open up our hearts to you. Open our eyes to see wonderful things here in your word. We pray that you would give us a Holy Spirit-produced trembling at your word, that you would fill us with love and joy and peace, that you would free us from the love of money, which is the root of all kinds of evil. Free us from greed. Free us from materialism. Free us from the blindness that greed gets to hide under, the blind spots in our hearts and in our lives, in our budgets, that we might enjoy You, that we might pursue surpassing righteousness and enter the kingdom of heaven. And help us to do it by grace, because we know we're not saved by works, by what we do, but by Christ's work. So most of all, we pray that we would see Jesus and rest in Him. Apart from you, Lord, we can't do anything. We can read your word, but it won't produce your intended effect. It will return empty. But because you promised your word never returns empty, we pray that you would powerfully work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. When John D. Rockefeller was 16 years old, he wrote down two goals for his life. 
He set an ambitious goal, two goals. One goal was that he would earn in his lifetime $100,000. His second goal was that he would live to be 100 years old. It's pretty ambitious for a 16-year-old, huh? Especially in those days. Now, he far surpassed one goal, the money goal, and he almost made it. He fell a little short of his second goal of how long he would live. According to Wikipedia, on September 29, 1916, John D. Rockefeller became the first person ever to ever reach a, non, a nominal personal fortune of $1 billion. In 1916, $1 billion. His goal was 100000 for his life. You could say he, he, he surpassed that. He amassed his fortune through the Standard Oil Company, of which he was a founder, chairman, and major shareholder. By the time of his death in 1937... Some estimates would range somewhere between, his total net worth would be between $392 billion and $663 billion. If you adjust those, that, that time or that amount for, the late to, for, for our, our current day, in our current decade. Imagine being worth $392 or to $650 billion. To give you an idea, Bill Gates, who's the wealthiest person in the world today, is around is worth around $80 billion. So this is, you know, multiple times over the richest, wealthiest person in the world today. That's how rich John Rockefeller was. And he had an ambition. Now, Jesus wants you to be ambitious as well. He wants you to be even more ambitious than this ambition of John D. Rockefeller. He calls you to store up more than, to to make more than $100,000. He calls you more than to make $650 billion. He calls you to store up treasures where? In heaven, which is worth far more than even $650 billion American dollars today. Now, that's the call. It's in verses 19 and 20, right? Um, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. There's the call. There's the command. That's the main goal, to, to lay up treasures on earth. I'm not on earth, but in heaven. Now, the problem for us is that we have found a way, we have, and I'm, I'm saying this of, of all of us, generally speaking, the Christians I know, including, including my own life, I'm looking in the mirror here, I have and we have found ways to still grow in our Christian lives while still storing up treasures on earth. I might store up, oh, let's go with, I'll use... of my wealth to store up treasures in heaven. But I'll use 50% of my wealth to still store up treasures on earth. Or 70-30. I'll I'll take a portion of my wealth and store up treasures in heaven. But there's another part where I I still am going to, to store up, not just use, but store up and collect treasures that are merely earthly. And we found a way to do that in our lives and in our churches so that we can look around at each other in the church and not feel guilty because, hey, everybody's doing it, right? We still have a heavenly mindset. I mean, we're here on Sundays. I give faithfully in the offering and maybe to other gospel initiatives and ministries, gospel-spreading ministries. So we understand the command, but it's hard to apply wholeheartedly, number one. And number two, it's hard to apply enthusiastically, I mean, think about these songs that we sing. And Ross prayed from Matthew 15, 8, where Jesus quotes Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
How can we sing songs like, take my life and let it be? Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a might would I what? Withhold. Not a penny. Take it all. Every single penny I own, take and use every single cent for your glory. Here am I, all of me, take my life, it's all for thee. Or another song we sing, one of my favorites, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus, and then the chorus goes, than to be a king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world, this world affords today. It's one thing to sing it with your lips, right, or to say it. It's another thing to enthusiastically sing it because we really believe it. And we're, we're totally sold out to it. I feel a disjunction between my heart, my heart and my head in terms of what I know should be true and what I feel and what I do. And so the Lord knows that as well. So he wants to help us. Instead of the Lord just saying, just do it because I said so, he could say that, he's Lord of all. He actually gives us three compelling reasons to help our hearts to really see like, this is not just something we should do, this is a good thing to do. This is the best thing to do. This is the only obvious wise thing to do with our lives, is to give all that we are, not to store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. So here in this passage, the Lord Jesus gives us three compelling reasons to lay up treasures not on earth, but in heaven. If you want to take notes, there is a handout here. I mean, you just have the three sections here with the breakdown of the verses and the main goal there. Don't lay up treasures on earth, but in heaven. Why? Here are three compelling reasons the Lord Jesus gives us. The first reason is in verses 19 and 21. So look again at your Bible and go to verse 19. And let's look at verses 19 and 21, that first paragraph. Let's see the first reason why we should do this. And really in this first reason, there's a small reason and a big reason. Let's go with the small reason first. So verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves don't break in and steal. Now, he doesn't say there's a reason there, but there is a reason there. What's the difference between the two treasures? Treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. What's the difference between it besides location? One is what? One evaporates. What's another way, word you might say? Security. One is secure. One is not secure. I mean, you could try to secure it. You could put it in a bank. You could do things, but thieves still can break in and steal. And then, um, Lance, what did you say again? Evaporates. It, it, one is fleeting. One gets corrupted. Right? Moth destroys it. Rust. It gets rusty. It's shiny for a, a moment, a season, a decade in your life. But even if it's something like gold, which doesn't lose its shine in your lifetime, it certainly loses the shine on your heart as you get older and you start to see the seriousness of what life is really about. So the minor reason here in this first point is because if you store up treasures on earth, it's fleeting, it's corrupting, and it's insecure. Whereas treasures in heaven is permanent and it's secure, it's eternal. And so Jesus wants us to give all that we have to store up treasures in heaven. If I said to you with honesty, and you knew I was honest, if, for every dollar you give me, I'll give you a hundred back for the next hour. Every dollar you give me, I'll give you a hundred dollars back. Or if John D. Rockefeller said that, and he was here, because you know he could actually afford it, right? If John D. Rockefeller was here, and he said that, would you do it? Of course you do it. 
A dollar for every time you give a dollar bill, you get Benjamin Franklin back? Yeah, of course, I would do it, right? Every dollar I have, I would do it. That's just an easy decision. Now, if he was giving you Monopoly $100 bills, you wouldn't do it. Why? Because it's of little value. Are the Monopoly dollars worth anything? It is if you're competitive in Monopoly and you're playing a game, right? It's a little valuable if you're playing the game and you're competitive. But other than that, it really has no, I mean, in the big picture of life, it has almost no value. In a similar way, your earthly treasures have almost no value in the big picture. The problem is we're so focused on the little thing, our, our, our vision is so parochial and small that we don't see the big picture. So for us, if you're playing the game of Monopoly and that's all you're thinking about and that's your whole life, then $100 bills for every $1 is a big deal. But in the grand scheme of things, you're like, no, that's, that's just not that big of a deal. And so it is that Jesus is trying to wake us up that your life and your money, your actual money here, your American dollars in this land, it's like monopoly money in the big picture of things. But you can use it to store up and get real money that really counts, real treasures. So what does the command functionally mean, though? I mean, how do you store up treasures in heaven? We know how to store up treasures on earth, right? We know how to take money, go to the bank, deposit it in the bank, put it in a stock, invest it, buy a real estate property, see it grow. We, we know how to invest for earthly treasures. We know how to do that. But how do you store up heavenly treasures? That's not immediately clear and obvious. So how do we, we know, okay, so don't live for earthly treasures means don't live for cash, for investments, for retirement, for your bank account numbers, for real estate, for stocks, but live for the immaterial treasures of, of um of heaven, but how do we do it? I'm going to read you a few passages. I'm not going to have you turn there for the sake of time, but faith comes by hearing. So listen as I read some biblical text to you. Listen to Luke 12, 13 and 21. Here's Jesus, a story about Jesus in the, with a crowd. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is Luke 12, 13. Friend, Jesus said to him, who appointed me judge and arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be, a guard, be on guard against all greed because one's life, listen to this, one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A man's land was, a, a, um, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store all my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. So here's the thing. This guy made an investment. He made an, exponentially, uh, an exponential amount of, of wealth from this investment, a thousandfold, 10,000fold on his investment. His crops just grew like crazy. And so he said, you know what? What am I going to do with all this? I know. I'll build bigger barns to store for who? For me. And I'll spend it all on me. And, and look, now I don't have to work for a really long time. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life or your soul is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So one way to store up treasures on earth and not in heaven is to hoard things for who? For yourself. 
That's one way to not store up treasures in heaven. To spend everything on yourself or to spend anything in a sense ultimately terminating on yourself and not for a greater cause. So Jesus says instead of doing that, laying up treasures on earth, invest in heavenly material, heavenly treasures. In Revelation and other books of the Bible, we're told we're going to receive a crown to throw at God's, at the, at the Lamb. In Revelation 3.18, Jesus says that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, but I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Jesus gives gold, and it's free, but he wants you to store up his gold refined in the fire. What is that? How do you do that? Well, very practically, look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, or listen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, you can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 says this, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Here's what Paul says. Do what is good, be rich in good works, and be generous and willing to share. Don't spend it all on yourself. Don't even spend it ultimately for yourself. Spend on yourself in order to sustain yourself to live for others, to do good works. So I'm not saying don't feed yourself. If you starve, you're not going to be helpful to serving other people. If, you're, if you have no clothes and you don't have any shelter, then you're not going to be really helpful to serve other people. So take care of your needs, but even when you take care of your needs, even if you're relaxing and resting, which you also need refreshment, so I'm not against vacations even, but, but why do you take vacations? Because this life is a vacation? Or is our vacation in the world to come? It's in the world to come, isn't it? We take a vacation here to refresh ourselves to go back into serving, to get back to the plow and to get back to to serving other people. We're not ultimately for a vacation here. This world is not our home. So be rich in good works. Turn to Luke chapter 14. There's two passages in Luke I want you to see, so turn to Luke 14. Again, if you don't... If you're not quick with the Bible, you could just listen, but if you could turn there, just to the right of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, Luke chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus again. Luke 14, verse 12, Jesus said to the one who had invited him, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Jesus is telling a parable here about, um, about, about inviting people to a wedding banquet. He said to the one who had invited him, when you give lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, who should you invite? Invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. Invite the homeless to your parties. Invite those who are marginalized in our society to your parties, is what Jesus is saying. The, the maimed, the lame, the blind. We might say those with, you know, who, who can't, who have special needs, perhaps. Mental illness, disabilities. Those who can't do anything back for you. Invite them to your parties. Why? Verse 14, Jesus says, and you will be what? You'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's how you store up treasures in heaven. If I only invite people who can, who can pay me back and do me favors back, that's your reward. 
you get their payback. But if you, if you serve and love and give for those who are in need who can't pay you back, who can't do anything good for you in this life, will you not be repaid? You will be repaid, right? When? And where? In heaven. In other words, you're storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. You're in Luke, so just turn back a chapter to Luke 12, or two chapters. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Look at Luke 12, 33. Jesus tells you very bluntly here how to store up treasures in heaven. Here it is, very plain. I can't make it plainer than Jesus. How do I store up treasures in heaven? Sell your possessions and what? Give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't, and this is what you're going to do. As you do that, you'll make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes in, comes near, and no moth destroys. Oh, that sounds familiar, right? How, so how do, I, how do I store up treasures in heaven, Lord Jesus? Sell your possessions and use your wealth to help those in need. Help the poor. Help those in need. That's how you store up treasures in heaven. If you only help those who can help you back or who, who end up helping themselves and they don't need your help ultimately, you're not storing up treasures in heaven. You're thinking much like someone of the world or even a Pharisee, according to Matthew 5, in terms of not having surpassing righteousness. So, brothers and sisters, what is Jesus telling us to do in storing up treasures in heaven? Give your life, your time, your resources. Make all of it go towards discipling people, discipling your neighbors and the nations, pouring out your life, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything Christ commanded. Turn to the left, one more passage here on this first point. Turn to Mark chapter 10 before we go back to Matthew. One more, one more section, Mark chapter 10. So to the left of Luke, Mark chapter 10. You remember the rich young man, the rich young ruler? He had a lot of money, he had a lot of wealth, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't have any other gods before you. Keep the Sabbath, you know. And the rich young man said, I've done all of it. I've done all those things. Got them all. A plus on all those. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. He sees that he's a rich guy. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and what? Follow me. And you'll have riches in heaven. And then the man, did the man take that deal? No, he turned around. Why? It says, because he had many riches. It wasn't worth it to him. It wasn't worth it to him. And so it is, and Jesus is pressing on whatever you value most, whatever your God is. Give up whatever you think you need most and follow me is, what, is Jesus' call. That's a call of discipleship. And if you're not willing to do that, you don't have heaven. You get your treasure. You get whatever you're, you're, you're grasping for, for however long you can grasp it, which isn't that long. So going back to Matthew 5, the command is don't store up treasures in heaven or on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven. And Jesus gives us the ultimate reason. Now, here's the point. So what's point number one? Why should I do all this? Why? Okay, I got it. Store up treasures in heaven. Give for the sake of spreading the gospel and for meeting people's needs, especially their need of Jesus. Got it. But why should I do this, PJ? I'm still not compelled to do it. Give me a good reason. Jesus gives us a good reason in chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's why you should give, to, to, this, here's why you should give your money away enthusiastically. Because you want your treasure to not be on earth. You want your heart to not be set on earth. You want your heart to be set in heaven. Why do I want my heart to be set in heaven? Why? Because, now when we say heart, my, two of my kids this week were debating about what a heart was because one said, a heart is shaped like this. 
The other kid's like, no, the heart is shaped like this, you know, and start debating, like, what, is a heart, what does a heart look like? And, um, you know, I just laughed at them. But when, when, when Jesus is saying, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, he's not speaking of the heart here that's the size of your fist. He's not talking about your physical heart. When, when the Bible's using heart here, it's talking about the control center of your life. The heart is not just where your feelings are. The heart is the control center of your life where your desires, your ambitions, your thoughts, and your direction is determined. It comes from your heart. So where your treasure is, guess what follows? Your heart. So here's my first reason why you need to lay up treasures in heaven. Because My answer is because your treasure transports your heart. Your treasure drags your heart along with you. Your treasure transports your heart to wherever your treasure is. So if you're storing up treasures on earth, guess where your heart's going? To earth. If, you're, if, you're, if your treasure's going to the bank, then your heart's going to the bank. If your treasure is going towards real estate, then your heart goes towards real estate. If your treasure goes towards your wallet, then your heart goes towards your wallet. Your treasure transports your heart. You cannot control your heart that simply. I mean, if I just tell you right now, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you want to do it. Even if you want to do it, can you just say, I want, to love, I want to love God with all my heart right now? Does your heart just immediately, and all your life and passion and ambition, does it just automatically flow there on the simple will of command, like changing a channel on TV or clicking an app on your phone? Is it that simple to, to direct your heart? No. Your heart is like, like a, a torrent of water flowing. And you could build channels for the heart to flow in there, so that it flows in a direction. But you can't merely command the water to just go wherever you want. You can, you can put treasures in a certain place though. You start, you start investing and giving it away to, to build for the kingdom and you're, you're creating channels for a river of your water to flow towards heaven. You can't just say, I'm gonna go to church every Sunday, I'm gonna read my Bible every day, but I'm gonna invest my treasures on earth. You do that, your heart will be in earth. Doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible. Doesn't matter how many times you pray, God changed my heart. If you don't put your treasure in heaven, your heart doesn't go there because tr your treasure transports your heart. So, so if you want to sing, we're the whole realm of nature mine, that we're present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If you want to treasure heavenly things, set your treasure in heaven. Give away your money. Use every cent for the Great Commission. It will transfix your heart. So Christian, brother, sister, look at your budget and invest more in the kingdom of God, not less. Don't be stagnant in your giving. And I'm not even just saying just to the church. I'm talking about giving in general, meeting needs, hospitality, others, neighbors, whatever, the, whatever causes God brings across your way and whatever resources God puts in your hand because it's all God's money anyways, isn't it? So, so, so give more. Don't be stagnant in your giving. I'm, be grateful for where you are. So don't be always self-critical, like, I could give more and feel guilty. I'm not telling you to whip yourself in the back. But even as you're generous, don't be stagnant and saying, this is my level of generosity for the rest of my life. Try to grow in it. Grow in generosity. Look at your time and treasures and find ways to be more generous and more strategic with your investments. If you're good at making money, like John D. Rockefeller was, use your money to make more money to be a blessing. I mean, John Rockefeller gave money away, gave loads of money away. John D. Rockefeller was a volunteer janitor for his Baptist church. <laughs> because he didn't need the money, right? Obviously. He's giving away his money. 
And yet he was volunteering at his Baptist church as a volunteer janitor. So he, he wasn't, so I'm not against, Jesus is not saying don't make money. If you're good at making money, make a lot of money. Make a lot of money and invest, but then use every penny of all that you make to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. That's the point. Church family, what does this mean for us as a church? If you're a member of this church, we need to continue to grow in our health, in our budget, and in our investment. So our church has a budget. We have members' meetings every other month. You need to vote on the budget and then make sure our church is spending our money well because every time we give to the offering plate, where does that money go? To wherever our church determines that we think is best for the kingdom, right? So we better make sure, if you're a member of this church, you're responsible to make sure that our budget is, is focused on heavenly agendas and ambitions and not merely earthly ones because you could give to a church and not give to heaven, Right? Or you could give to a church, and that's, that's storing up treasures in heaven if the church is using it for the Great Commission. Amen. And so, as a church member, you're responsible for the money, for the direction of money in this church. Now, of course, the elders are going to lead in that, but you still have to vote and decide as a church. If you're a child, children, listen up, children, don't wait till you're older to give. Give now. One of Satan's greatest tricks, and you'll learn this once you get your first job, I'll give more when I make more. Have you ever thought that? And then started making more? And then you thought, I'll give more when I make more. And then you make a little bit more, and then you're like, wait, that's not enough yet. I'll give more when I make more. That is a lie from hell. Give now. Be sacrificial now. Your heart is being shaped right now, not when you make more. Your heart is being shaped right now in every moment. So children, you don't have a job, you get allowance, give. If you're retired, my retired brothers and sisters here, don't worry about your earthly legacy. Expend the rest of your life to store up treasures in heaven. Now, all of us only have a few moments before we're, we're gone. All of us, even the children here. We only have a vapor of a life, and then we're gone. Use your moments and your days to store up as much treasure. Don't worry about your legacy on earth. Store up treasures on heaven, and your legacy on earth will be fine. Just store up treasures in heaven. Focus on that and you'll be fine. If you're a worker, some of you might be discontent with your job. My job is so meaningless. It's not doing any good for this world. It feels so unfulfilling. If that's where you are, is your job paying you? It's giving you money. And guess what you should do with that money? Store up treasures where? In heaven. So even if you have a meaningless job or it feels meaningless to you, it's not meaningless if you're getting paid. Now, Work is not meaningless in general, but I'm not here to argue for that at this point. My point is, if you feel like it's meaningless, it's not, even for the money you make, because Jesus is giving you stuff, resources, to, to lay up treasures in heaven. So your job has meaning, even when it feels unfulfilling. If you're poor, don't, under, don't underestimate your little gift that you give, like the widow's might. If you're enslaved to greed, and some of us are from season to season in our church's life, if, you, if you're like, you know what, PJ, I get what you're saying, but I still feel enslaved to greed. I feel enslaved to money. If that's where you're at, here's what I want to encourage you with. Whatever little desires you have to give, give to that little degree, because you know what happens? God expands that. So you're like, I make a lot of money, but I only want to give this much, but I want to give a little, I want to give more, but I just don't feel generous. Give to whatever desire you can actually muster up within you, and pray that God makes it bigger. Brother, sister, don't be discouraged if you're conquered by greed in this season of your life. God can break you free from greed. But you gotta start. You gotta start where you're at and take whatever grace he gives you and use it 
to store up treasures in heaven. To our general society, America, we would say, don't buy the lie that what you make, or that, that um, money makes you happy. Money solves your problems. That's not true. It does not. If you're not a Christian, here's my question to you. What are your treasures? Are you wasting your time and your money on investments that are insecure and are about to expire? Jesus wants your life and your treasure so that he can, so that he can be your treasure. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might be thinking this. You know what, PJ, this is why I would never be a Christian. I would never be a Christian because Christianity is a straitjacket. Christianity wants to restrict me and never let me enjoy life. Not only do you want my Sundays, not only do you want me to believe an ancient book, you want me to give all my money? All of it has to be directed somehow to this great mission of God, of making disciples? This is crazy. I would never want to be a Christian. Christianity is a sentence of no longer, of giving up your freedom. If that's what you think, and if that's why you're not a Christian, let me say that I, can, I, I feel that tension myself. I can understand that. Christians, can't we, Christians, couldn't you agree that sometimes you feel like God's commands are burdensome? I mean, the Bible says God's commands are not burdensome, and that's the truth, but don't we sometimes feel it is burdensome even when it truly isn't? We do, right? So if you're not a Christian, just, just, just so you know, we Christians feel like it's a straitjacket on us sometimes too. But let me tell you why it's not really a straitjacket, why it's really not burdensome. Good news and bad news. The bad news is that no one is really free. So you're like, I want to be free. The bad news is no one's really free. If you're free from Jesus, you're not free from being enslaved to your job or being free, enslaved to money. Have you ever met anyone enslaved to money? Have you ever met anyone enslaved to their job, enslaved to the next dollar they're going to make? No one is really free. You're just a slave of your highest master, your greatest value. That's the bad news, is that you might say, I just want to be free. I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be free. Well, you're not free. You just have a different master. Now, here's the good news. Well, sorry, more, more bad news before good news. Here's the bad news for you. If Jesus is not your master, your master can't save you, and when you die, you'll go to hell. That's bad news. The good news is that Jesus is a master who dies for your sin, rises from the dead, will forgive you of all your sins, and he is the master who, when you serve him fully, devoted, he actually frees you to be the human you're supposed to be. That, that's where real freedom is. So, so God made us, right? So God knows how we best function. If you take a car, so let's, t- what are the newest cars everyone loves, like the Teslas, right? If you take a Tesla, how much are Teslas these days? $85,000, okay. Great. I have no idea, so I'm just gonna take that. $85,000. If you take a Tesla, and you're like, man, I love my Tesla so much, I'm gonna take it to the beach. And so you take it to the beach, and they start driving on the sand, and they start driving in the water. You know, I wanna, I wanna go to Hawaii. I'm gonna just drive my Tesla into the ocean because I wanna go to Hawaii. It's not going to make it because a Tesla was not designed to float on water. And you say, I want to be free. I don't want to stay on the roads. Give me freedom. Don't restrict where I drive. I can drive wherever I want to. Well, you can. You can. But your freedom from the roads is bondage to sinking in the water, right? So when you bind yourself and you're enslaved to roads, you get to enjoy your Tesla. Because it was designed to not be in water. Does that make sense? Same thing for you. If you're a human being, you're designed to be on the road, Jesus who calls himself the way, 
to be on Him, the way, the road. Jesus is the way. And if you try to get off that way for freedom, you actually find bondage that kills you. So if you're not a Christian, let me tell you, God made you, God loves you, He sent His Son to die for your sins so that if you would repent from your sins and trust in Him, you'll be saved. But if you don't trust in Him, you don't take His payment for your sins, you pay for it yourself. And that's judgment in hell. And you don't have to go to hell. You can be free and forgiven if you come to the Lord Jesus. Okay, so the first reason why you should not lay up treasures, treasures on earth but in heaven is because your treasure transports your heart. The second and third are not as long because the first one we have to actually define the command. But in the second reason, why should I treasure, why should I set my treasures on, in heaven and not on earth? The second reason is, is in verses 22 to 23. So look at verse 22. Chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? All right, so Jesus is stacking some metaphors here. Is this confusing to you? This was confusing to me when I first read it. If you read it quick, it could be confusing. So let's get these metaphors going, okay? So pay attention here. The eye is the lamp. So the eye is the lamp, and the lamp does what? It shines what? Light. So if your, your, the eye is the lamp of your body. If your lamp is bright with light and it's lighting the rest of your body, if, if your light is on and it's bright, your whole body will be full of what? Light. Now, if your lamp is broken, if your lamp is broken or it has no light in the lamp and that's the lightiest, the brightest part of your body, if that's not shining anything, then what's the rest of your body? Dark. Because the light is dark. It's, it's out. Okay, so... So you, you, you get that analogy so, so far, right? No light, everything else is dark that's supposed to be lit. If it is bright, everything that's supposed to light will be full of light, right? Now the lamp is the what? The eye. And what do we do with eyes? We see, we look, and we focus. We focus. And so the eye is your focus. What are you focusing your life on? When your eyes are set, wherever you set your eyes... That's where your, your body goes. So unless you're blind, which none of our members are at this point, praise the Lord, but that can happen, we, you know. But if you are blind, you, can't, you, you don't follow your eyes, but everyone else who can see, you follow your eyes, right? Your eyes look, and then that sets the direction for the rest of your life. And here's Jesus' point. Your focus fills your life. Your focus fills your life. Just like your treasure transports your heart, your focus fills your life. When you're focused, wherever you're focused, that fills your light. So if your focus is on the light, your whole body is full of light. But if you're focused on the darkness, if your eye is darkness, then your whole body is full of what? Darkness. And so he says at the very end, and if your light is dark, and your light is the brightest part of who you are, and if that is dark, then your whole body is even in deeper darkness. So watch where you're focusing. Why should, I treasure, why should I set my treasures in heaven, not on earth? Why should I store up treasures, treasures there? Because my focus fills my life. And if I'm focused on the things of this earth, my whole body, my character, will be filled with darkness. Storing up treasures in heaven reminds you that God is your light and your life. And that changes your perspective. It changes how you interact with people. But when you hoard earthly treasures, that leads to darkness and death. It is the path of the dark side. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What were they focused on? 
here's Eve talking to the serpent, and, and the serpent says to, to Eve, if you eat this, you're going to be like God. And what does Eve do before she eats it? What does she do? She looks at it. She focuses on it. And then she starts to see, hmm, it will make me wise. This will be good. It will make me like God. But where did it start? It started with her eyes. You focus on something long enough, and it will start to fill your thoughts and fill your life and fill your actions and fill your destiny. Your focus fills your life. Take that, contrast that where she, she could have eaten anywhere. She was hungry, said it looked good for food. Well, there's food everywhere. She doesn't eat it. She focused on that one. Take Jesus in contrast. In the wilderness, not in the Garden of Eden with food everywhere. There's no food. There's just stones everywhere. And what does Satan say to him? Turn these stones everywhere into what? Bread. And, and if, if you're Jesus, you know, when, if you're in the desert and people have, you know, they start uh, seeing things and hallucinating and seeing mirages of water up ahead, you know, when they're, when they're dehydrated and they're in the heat. And here's Jesus in, in the wilderness. You see all, this, all these rocks everywhere. If you, start to say, if you start to imagine them as bread, you'll see bread everywhere. And Jesus can turn things into bread, couldn't he? I mean, he has that power. If he started focusing on that and imagining it and just ima- while he's hungry, hasn't eaten for 40 days, he starts imagining bread everywhere that he can actually make into bread, that focus would fill his life. But instead, he responds quickly, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm not even going to focus on bread because focus fills your life. So, we sing songs like, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace, because your focus fills your life. So if you focus on Jesus, worldly things get dim. It becomes dark, and you get filled with the light of Christ. So whether you're a Christian or not, or not a Christian, here's my question for you. Think about this. What are you looking for in life or in this season of your life? Who are you looking for? What's driving you right now? What are you focused on? How has that focus determined your last week and your upcoming week and even this weekend? Where is your focus? Who are you looking at? And what are you looking at? I don't have to ask you because I know it's true. That focus has filled your life. It has. Just look at your schedule. Look at your tasks. It's filled your life. I'm not saying you don't have other tasks to do as responsibilities as Christians, but if your focus isn't ultimately on the Lord, then you will be shaped by other things, and that will fill your life. For the church family, here's a question to ask BBC. If we're trying to think of the health of our church, here's a question to ask each other. Who are we pointing to? As we hang out with each other, as we greet each other, as we see each other on Sunday, as we have conversations after the service, who are we pointing to with our words? When we ask questions, how was your week, how are you doing? Who are we trying to look at, and who are we trying to point the other person to? Who should we be trying to point them to? To Jesus, right? To embody and explain Christ so that they look at Him. Sometimes we point them to the world, or sometimes we point them to the mirror. Look at yourself. We tell them to look at themselves, or we point them to us, or we point them to the Bible for words and concepts. Ultimately, we need to point them up to Jesus. Children, look past and through your parents to God the Father. Parents, don't look to your children for your fulfillment, ultimately. You'll be disappointed. That's not a knock on you kids. That's just true. Spouses, don't look to your spouse for fulfillment. 
Again, that's not a knock on you spouses. It's just the truth. Singles, don't look to more freedom in your singleness for fulfillment. And don't look to more relationships or to a significant relationship for your ultimate happiness. Workers, employees, employers, don't look to your next job or your career or even your current job for fulfillment. Students, don't look to graduation for your fulfillment. Retirees, don't look to the past for your fulfillment. Look to the future. For those who are discouraged, don't look at your sin so much that you don't look at your Savior. For those of you who are encouraged, don't look at your wins so much that you forget your Savior. In our society, everyone's looking to their own tribe as an echo chamber to keep reinforcing their own opinions. Don't look within. Look to God in His Word that you might know God. Look up to Jesus because where you look eventually dictates the light or darkness in your life. So, why should you lay up treasures in heaven? Because when you lay up your treasures in heaven, you fix your focus on the Lord. Okay, so two reasons so far why we lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Number one, your treasure transports your heart. Number two, your focus fills your life. And number three, the last one, let's read verse 24, last verse. No man can serve two masters. Why, Jesus? Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. Here's a third reason why you need to lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth, because your devotion displays your God. Your devotion displays your God. And I didn't say gods because Jesus is saying you can't have two gods. You can't have two masters. You only get one. You can say you have two. You can think you have two, but you don't have two. You only have one. It's impossible to have two masters. That's his point. You'll either love one and hate the other, or you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't, you can't serve both. You only have one master, and so your devotion displays your master, your God. So lay up treasures in heaven, because that shows, that displays that God is your God. You lay up treasures on earth, then you're showing that your God is money. You cannot serve God and money. Now, what the deception, Christ, the lie Jesus is breaking here in our lives is not that you shouldn't be materialistic. That's true. The deception is that you can think you can be materialistic and a faithful Christian at the same time. That's the lie he's breaking here. He's not saying don't be materialistic. He's saying don't think that you can be materialistic and a faithful Christian or and a Christian at the same time. You can't. You can only be materialistic, earthly materialistic, or heavenly materialistic. You can only have a focus on earthly treasures or heavenly treasures. You can't go half and half. There are, you can't have two masters. No one can do it. So don't believe the lie that you can do both. Serving God and serving money. Now, you're going to interact with both. In this life, you must interact with money, and you must interact with God. The only difference is some people will use money to get as much of God as they can to serve God and to enjoy God and to do God's will so that they enjoy God in their lives. They'll use their money to, to honor and serve and get as much of God as their treasure. Others will use God to get as much money as they can. I'm going to be a Christian because if I pray, then God owes me money. I'm, I'm going to learn Christian principles from the Proverbs so I can learn how to budget my money so I can make more money. And so God is used as the butler for your treasure. You get one destination and one butler. You either use money as your butler to get to God, or you use God as your butler to get to more money. 
But you can't do both. Don't believe the satanic lie that you can do both. You know who believed the satanic lie that they could do both? King Saul. He wanted a sacrifice to God. But he didn't want to sacrifice to God because he wanted God. He wanted a sacrifice to God because he didn't want to be embarrassed that his kingship was going to be removed. He wasn't really repenting. The prophet Samuel said, because you disobeyed God, he's removing the kingdom from you. No, no, I want to make sacrifices to him. Please come. Please, please, please don't embarrass me in front, of, in front of everyone by leaving me. Please come with me to the sacrifice. He didn't really want God. He wanted it to look like he had God so that he wouldn't be embarrassed in front of other people. He wanted to use God for his earthly treasure. And that's how a lot of Christians can get caught up as well. Oh, I love God. I'm a faithful member of my church. But even Joshua said, choose this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Leave your gods of the past, Joshua said in Joshua 24. In 1 Kings 18, and 20, 18 20 and 21, you know, um, Elijah, the prophet Elijah versus the 450 prophets of Baal. You remember that? And Elijah, they stand there. Who's God? And Elijah stands before all of Israel and says, he says, um, how long will you waver between two opinions? If, the, if Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people didn't even answer him a word. And so there's this contest. And you could read 1 Kings 18. It's a wonderful story. But the point here is that how long will you waver? Because in your wavering, you think you're neutral, but you're not neutral. There is no neutrality. When Eve was in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit. Who was telling them to eat the fruit? Satan. And did Eve say, I choose Satan, not God? Is that what she said? No, she said, I will eat this so who can become like God? So that I can become like God. She thought she could make a third way. I don't choose Satan. I don't choose God. I choose me. And Satan smiles. Because in choosing yourself, you've chosen who? Satan. And when you choose money, you choose who? Satan. There is no third way. There is no half and half. There is no wavering between two opinions. There are only two masters, and you already are devoted to one. And your devotion displays your God. Capital G or lowercase g. But your devotion displays your God. And so, if we're going to apply this, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, if you're going to store up treasures in heaven, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, not for earthly treasure, knowing that you will receive a reward, the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. That's your master. So Christians, don't fall for the neutrality lie that you can, that you can be in the middle There's only one number one in your life. If I told my wife, you know, you're my, I'm not against you, hun, I'm not against you. It's just I do have this other woman that is a closer friend and more emotional connection, and I like her more than you, but I'm I'm still devoted to you, though. You're still my wife and my only wife. You think that will go well for our marriage? No, you you laugh, right? Of course it won't. But we do that with God. God, you're still my God. I'm not going to worship another God. I'm not going to go anywhere else on Sunday. I'm still going to come to church. I'm still going to hear the Bible preached, but, but I still have these other things in front of you in my actual life. It doesn't go well. That's not, that's not how we're meant to live. Your devotion displays your God. If you're not a Christian, you're either for Jesus or against him. 
now. That doesn't mean I'm forcing you to have to decide now. You do have to decide now because you don't know when you're gonna die. But even if you need to think about it, understand that while you're thinking about, oh, should I be a Christian, should I not? In that season of thinking about it, you're still against God until you're for him. So Jesus says in John three thirty six, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. If you're not believing in Christ, you're disbelieving Christ. You're still rejecting him until you receive him. There is no, while you're thinking about him, I'm not, that's a good thing to think about him. So if you're not a Christian, I don't want to discourage you. Keep thinking. Keep asking your questions. But just understand that while you're in the state of deliberation, you're still currently rejecting him until you're not. So turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's look to Jesus, because as God calls us to give up all of our earthly treasures for heavenly treasures, we're just following who? Jesus. Jesus was homeless. Matthew 18, 20. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to what? Lay his head. He's ho- he was homeless. He was poor before he died. When Christ died, he didn't have to get his things in order. His things were already in order. He didn't own anything. He, he was constantly giving to lay up treasures in heaven. He gave all that he had for others, including his very life. Nothing against getting your things in order, by the way. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You know, it says, your focus fills your life, either with light or with what? Darkness. In Matthew chapter 4, before the Messiah came, it talks about how the whole land of Israel was filled with darkness, waiting for the Messiah. And here comes Jesus. And you think about light in the book of Matthew. Jesus transfigures himself on the Mount of Transfiguration as light, right? And so there's this light. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus says, be careful. Keep your focus on light because if you don't, you'll become dark. And Jesus was always light, fully light. And yet on the cross, he hung in darkness. In Matthew, three times, darkness, the outer darkness is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's that referring to? Hell, judgment, the lake of fire. Jesus bore that darkness on the cross. He bore the wrath of God. He bore hell on the cross for three hours so that you, sinner, who deserves hell, can be free. And now he's telling you, fix your eyes on the light. I became poor for you so you might become rich. I was engulfed by the darkness so that you could focus your life on light. And Jesus served one master. He never obeyed Satan. He never looked for a third way. He said, not my will, not Satan's will be done, not even my will be done, but whose? But thine, yours be done, right? Thine be done. And in that, he chose to serve one master his whole life. And for that, he was able to die for our sins and save us. So let us turn to Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. He is your treasure. He is your master. And he's in heaven. So put your money where your mouth is. Better yet, put your money and treasures to use in discipleship, in influencing people toward God and toward Christ, in conversion and continued transformation. If you don't store up treasures in heaven, but you keep it on earth, your heart will shrink. Your life, your path will go astray. You'll grow in darkness. And your God, lowercase g, 
will leave you bankrupt, broken, and banned from God's presence. But if you store up treasures in heaven, you will show, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about the type of people who enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't get saved by doing this. You don't get saved by works. But the type of people who are poor in spirit, the type of people who store up treasures in heaven are those who are saved. And so if you store up treasures in heaven, your heart will expand with holy love. Your life will stay on the right path, lit up by the Lord Jesus himself. And our God, your God, will enrich you, he'll encourage you, and he will ensure that you will be in his presence in the eternal kingdom forever and ever. John Rockefeller made what would be today $650 billion. He's widely regarded as the wealthiest person in history, but not in Jesus' eyes. The wealthiest people are those who store up the most treasures where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. For your heart, for your focus, and for your worship, don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay them up in heaven. Let's pray. Father, take this word and hide it in our hearts that we would not be greedy. Break us free from the lies of Satan. Lord Jesus, be our focus. Captivate our hearts. And be the God that we gladly worship, not just with our lips, but with our bank accounts and with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen.